Well, good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's good to have you with us. We enjoy having the families of those who are visiting for the baby dedication today, the uh, Cano family, the Torres family, and it's so good to see you all. Wow, what a wonderful uh, support uh, the family and friends can be to a young couple having a little one, right? Especially their first little one. So we appreciate you being here to support them, and we appreciate all that God is doing in the lives of our children. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are good and gracious God. You bless us with many wonderful blessings. Many wonderful blessings in our lives, and we're grateful and we thank you for each and every one of them. We ask for your continued blessing upon our fellowship, upon each of us, upon our children, those that are next door, from the babies to the teens, And we ask that as we're here gathered in the sanctuary today, and as we've just seen just an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in and through our lives over these last few, actually almost a year now, or a little over a year, we ask, Lord God, that you would just continue to bring about your revival both in our hearts and in our world through some of the most difficult and challenging times we face, may we know in our hearts that that just means you're working all the more wonderfully in and through our lives. We ask that you continue to do this work by your Spirit's power and lead us closer and closer in our relationship with Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, it's good to see all of your smiling faces. I'm glad that uh, you chose to be with us today. We've been talking about... Stephen. Last week we were introduced to a man by the name of Stephen, who was one of the servants in the church, in the early church, very early on. And this morning we're going to turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 6, verse 8, where we left off last week. So if you have your Bible with us, it's Acts chapter 6, verse 8. We're just going to look at a few verses, but what we're going to do is ask ourselves some questions. I always feel that it's a good practice to ask ourselves questions and to allow ourselves to be challenged from God's Word, and especially this portion of God's Word today. You see, last week we talked about and asked the question regarding leadership, what kind of individuals are called to serve in the church? And we looked very closely at the first seven verses of this chapter and answered some of those questions from God's Word. Before that, we talked about what it would take to silence you. That is, as we're persecuted for being Christians, for being upstanding moral people in this dark culture, what would it take to keep you from being the person that God has called you to be? And we would hope the answer would be, nothing can keep me from being that person. So as we looked at the apostles as they were persecuted, And then we saw this problem in the early church and how it was solved through additional leadership and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. We now have two things going on. We've been introduced to a man named Stephen, but we also know that the persecution in the early church is growing. It's about to reach a fever pitch, and over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at what it ultimately ends with in Jerusalem at that time. But for this morning, we're going to see that Stephen, this this godly man, was seized by the Jewish leaders and brought before the Sanhedrin, which was sort of like their congress, their, their leadership. 
And as he's brought before this group of people, there are those persecuting this man for doing exactly what God has called him to do. Now, the apostles were twice now at this point in our narrative in the the book of Acts, brought before the Sanhedrin and imprisoned. And in one case, they were beaten, they were flogged. The persecution is increasing, and yet we're told over and over again that the word of God was reaching more and more people. Now, I want you to stop, and I want you to pause, and I want you to think with me. And I mentioned some of this last week and the week before. But I want you to think with me. Is what's going on in our world today under God's control? Can I hear an amen? Amen. No, God is not the author of confusion. He's not the author of sin and evil and wickedness. He is not the author of those things that are happening in our world today, but he is still very much in control. That's difficult for some people. At times, very difficult for me. But when I look at the world, I realize God is allowing things to take place in our world that grieve our spirits, things that take place that break our hearts. Now, you might say that that doesn't make any sense. Why? I don't always know the answer to why. But in this particular case, I can tell you definitively that God allows persecution in the church so that the church will be the church he's called it to be. What we're going through right now in our culture and our world is nothing short of God allowing us to go through difficult times so that we can become the people of God that he's called us to be. That means it may get tougher. Revivals can be ugly things. For the men and women of God who stand up for righteousness in a culture like this, you may pay with your life, as we'll see Stephen does. You may lose your job. You may be silenced on social media. You may be canceled from the public arena. You may be called a racist. You may be called all manner of evil. For Jesus told us this would surely happen. But going back two weeks ago, what would it take to silence you? Don't be silenced. Stephen is a man who refused to be silenced. And one of the things I'm seeing already, and I knew it was coming, I've told my wife over and over again, listen, the pushback is coming. The pushback is coming. People in our nation will just take so much before they stand up and they say critical race theory is racism. People will just be pushed so much before they stand up and call it what it is. People will just take so much before they say, no, I will not be silenced. I will not give in to this radical woke agenda. I will not follow the culture. I, like Peter and the apostles, would rather listen to the words of God than of men. We have to do what God has commanded us to do. Judge for yourselves, but we have to do what God has called us to do. That's what the apostles told those who were persecuting them. And now Stephen. little recap. Look at verse 8. I'm going to mention verse 8, and then I want to recap a little what the first seven verses told us about Stephen in particular. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Now we were just introduced to Stephen in the previous part of this chapter, and last week we studied it together, but Stephen was preaching the gospel. He was testifying to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he was doing so with great power. In the face of persecution, God's people will be empowered. 
In the face of persecution, God's people will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We always ask for revival. We always ask for God to do a work. And then he allows the persecution, which ultimately is the soil in which a revival grows. And then we say, oh, where's God? I'll tell you where God is, working through this persecution. And he was working in the life of Stephen. Listen, the the disciples had recognized Stephen as a man who was full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith. He had received the spiritual gifts of wisdom and faith. He was a gifted man, but gifted by God. He was one of the seven chosen to be responsible for the daily distribution of food within the church, which we covered last week. The apostles, the leaders of the church, Jesus' 12 apostles, well, they replaced Judas, but the apostles publicly confirmed that the Lord had chosen all seven of these men as servant leaders. These men were given responsibility. In addition to the 12 who were leading the church, these seven were called deacons or servants. The word deacon just means minister or servant. So they were given servant positions, but here's what happens when someone is willing to serve God and serve others. They become a leader. Because that's what it means to be a leader, to serve others. And God will so gift and anoint a leader, a servant leader, that they will do things that there is no practical or logical explanation for how they did them. And that's what Stephen experienced. He was a man, we're told in this verse, verse 8, who was not only full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, and faith, as we learned last week, but a man who was full of God's grace and and full of God's power. Now, that's a wonderful combination. Full of God's grace and full of God's power. It's an important distinction. You can be filled with God's power and have no love or grace in your heart. You can be filled with love and have no power. He had both. That's a wonderful balance, one we need to cultivate in our hearts as Christians. Let's talk a little bit about this. He understood God's grace. He was full of God's grace. What does that mean? It means he understood God's grace and his own unworthiness to receive God's love. To be full of God's grace is to understand your own unworthiness. You do not deserve God's love, but you are loved by God. You do not deserve God's love, but you are loved by by God. This man, being full of God's grace, openly expressed God's love for others, and he did so by sharing the truth of the gospel with them. Those that share God's truth today are called haters. No, they are lovers of men. They are those that love mankind and care about those they share with. You see, we're told today that to share the truth, if it's not the popular truth, if it's not the approved truth, that we're somehow hateful. But quite frankly, brothers and sisters, that's just not true. If there was a bridge out down Paulson Avenue, and I didn't care very much about you, I might not tell you. But if I love you, I'm going to say, the bridge is out. Don't go that way. You could end up in the river. Oh, pastor, you're so negative. Oh, pastor, you're so hateful. What do you hate, Paulson Avenue? What's your problem? No, I love you. And if you continue down that road, you're going to end up drowned. 
in your sins, and you're going to end up dead in this life. How could you say that? I don't accept that truth. It doesn't feel right to me. That's where we're at. Now, that's sharing God's grace. He understood this. And so because he knew he wasn't worthy of God's love, he shared God's love. But he knew God loved him. And that's what it means to be full of God's grace. And he also expressed that love for others by sharing the gospel with them. So he knew how to love people well with the truth of God. See, some will tell you in the church to be loving, you can't share the truth of sin. That sin separates us from God. They'll tell you you can't share the truth of judgment. That if you die in your trespasses and sins, you're going to hell. Some people won't share that because they say it's not loving. But I'm telling you folks, the bridge is out on Paulison Avenue. Don't mistake the truth for hate. The truth is love. He knew this. People didn't always accept it, but he knew this. He was also, though, empowered, and empowered to perform great wonders and miraculous signs among the people, we're told. Now, he had received another spiritual gift. This man was just so full of gifts. He was receiving here now the gift of miraculous powers. One day he's serving widows at a food pantry, if you will, the daily distribution of, of, of food. And now, not only is the wisdom and the grace and the love of God coming from his life, but miraculous spirit-filled power, such that he was doing things that no one else could explain other than it being a work of God. Now, what does miraculous powers mean? When I was a kid, I, I used to love magic. I don't mean that kind of magic. I mean like sleight of hand, prestidigitation, if you will. The idea that someone could make a quarter disappear in their hand or do a card trick or make something disappear fascinates me even to this day. But those are tricks. Miraculous powers are not tricks. They're God's miraculous working. Now, what would have been included in this description? Well, many things. It's a general uh, topic. It's sort of a a broad spectrum of things that are miraculous, which includes casting out demons. I mean, I often think if we cast out all the demons in Washington, (laughs) where would we find our congressmen and our senators? So casting out demons was included in this. Healing the sick is included here. Speaking in tongues can be included in that. Anything that is so obviously miraculous that that no one could dispute it. Someone is missing a limb and they pray for the person and the limb grows back. That's a little bit more than healing. Would you agree? That's miraculous powers. We're not told exactly. We're just told that they were miraculous. Now here's, here's what happens. Stephen gets in trouble with the people that he's closest with. Have you noticed? That the people, some of your family and friends, your neighbors, people who know you the best, oftentimes have the most issues with you? Why is that? Well, love and hate are very close. You know, you love somebody with the truth, and they hate you for it. Because they don't want to hear it. Here's what happened. Let's look at verses uh, 9 through 10. We then read that opposition arose. Brothers and sisters, if you underline in your Bible, you want to underline that, those two words. Opposition arose. Because as you live for God, you can expect that response. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of freed men. 
as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, these men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Can I get an amen? See, when you're doing what God has called you to do, no one can really stand against you. You will receive opposition. You you know what opposition is? I want you to think about when Mike Tyson was in his prime. And he used to knock people out in the first round. Oh, he had opposition. Did it last very long? No. Because you see, the gates of hell cannot deal with those who stand up like Stephen. They won't prevail against us. Amen? You need to understand that opposition will arise. You can expect it. You can, you can count on it. But in fact, if it doesn't happen, you might not be doing the right thing. Opposition arose because it always does. But it could not stop Stephen. I want you to know, as you stand for God and stand for truth and stand for his word and stand for others and love people with the truth, opposition, it's already out there. But it will be ineffective in stopping you from preaching the truth. And that was exactly what happened in Stephen's life. Let's talk a little bit about the synagogue. Stephen's opposed by members of the synagogue of the freed men, they're called. And the members of the synagogue were, as we talked about last week, there were Grecian Jews and Hebraic Jews. Grecian Jews were those Jews who lived within the Greek culture, spoke Greek, lived among the Greeks and the Gentiles. Hebraic Jews were sort of antisocial. They didn't associate with Gentiles. They did not generally speak Greek. They lived within the Hebrew culture, within the Greek culture. The Greeks, or Grecian Jews, lived within the Greek culture as Hebrews. So there's a distinction, and the church is already dealing with these problems because there was some discrimination between the two groups. But the members of this synagogue were Grecian Jews, and they were from the areas north and south of Israel. They, they weren't from the area of Jerusalem. They, they were far outside. In fact, Cyrene was a city in upper Libya, very near modern-day Tripoli in North Africa, northern Africa. Alexandria was an ancient city in lower Egypt on the Mediterranean Sea. So close to Israel, but not in Israel. Cilicia was a maritime province in Southeast Asia Minor, which is modern Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And then you have proconsular Asia, which is mentioned simply as Asia there. It's a province in Western Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey. So we're talking about Turkey, Syria, Egypt and Libya, the areas around Israel. So what does that tell you? They were Grecian Jews. They lived among the Greeks. They lived among those areas. Because the Greeks, the Greek culture had permeated uh, through the conquering of Alexander the Great. Uh, those, those areas were Greek cities taken over by the Romans at this point, but still Greek culture. Everyone spoke Greek. It was the language of the day. So that's where these individuals are from. We've already shared that Stephen was a Grecian Jew. So they disagreed with Stephen's interpretation of the Old Testament, but they failed in their argument against him. Now, as I've said, Stephen was a Grecian Jew. He was probably, probably a former member of this synagogue. Think about it. He's now a Christian, but but he's a Grecian Jew. Where do you think he went to synagogue? among the Grecian Jews. I am, I'm convinced that the reason they had a problem with him is because this man who loved people with the truth went to a group of people he loved and shared the truth. 
And what happened? Well, it only gets worse. Their fierce opposition against Stephen may have been simply because they were former associates. What did Jesus say? Your enemies will be that of your own household. Father against mother and brother and sister. And you see, that's what's happening here. It's what's happening today. If you have a largely Christian family and all those within your family are at least supportive, listen, I just want to commend the, the Taurus and, 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 and Cano family because even though some of you don't, most of you don't attend here and some of you may not even attend church, you came out today because you love your family to be supportive, right? But not everyone feels that way, even if they disagree. They don't always feel comfortable supporting Christians. And I want to commend you guys who have joined us today because you know what? You, at a minimum, you're supportive. You showed your support. And that's so much more wonderful than what happened here. Some people are antagonistic to the point of they would be willing to kill their own family members or have them imprisoned or canceled or deplatformed or silenced simply because they voted for the other guy. So you see... We have to be very careful, not as we're sharing the gospel, but knowing that when we share the gospel, opposition will arise. Don't be all kinds of discouraged. Oh, I did what God told me and they threw rocks at me. Well, listen, that's what happens. Know it. So this fierce opposition comes against Stephen. But Stephen was able to defeat them in open debate through the wisdom and power of the Holy Spirit. You you see, as you preach the truth with the wisdom of God, ultimately, you'll beat them in an argument in the first minute. Then they resort to hate. Those that are calling you a hater will resort to hate. And they will call you names. They will call you a racist. They will be racist. They'll be discriminatory. They'll do all the things they accuse you of doing. Why? Because they don't have an argument. It's like saying, the sky is green, the sky is green. Oh, I saw it online, the sky is green. And you come out and you say, brothers, look at the sky, it's blue. No, the sky is green. Read it on Twitter, I got a tweet. The sky is green. The sky is falling. And we start to listen to these things, and then you come along and say, what's wrong with you? Think, look, reason. Oh, reason and logic, I know. What am I thinking? So you'll win the argument, but then they'll resort to tactics like burning down your cities because they don't have an argument. Because what they say is a lie. And we know who started the lion. There's prophesying and prophelying. I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of people out there They talk like they know what they're saying, but what they're really saying is what the devil told them to say. He's the father of lies. And then you got a wonderful person like Stephen just preaching the truth in love and the response he gets. Well, remember this. He had received, Stephen had received the gift of wisdom and the gift of communication as well, we're told. Did you see what it said there? It said of Stephen, he... They could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. See, there are gifts of the Holy Spirit that he gives to people who stand up to be used by him. 
Stephen had so many, but one of the things he was gifted with was his ability to speak. And he used it for the right purposes. And they couldn't deal with it because it was of God. So we see in verse 11, what do they resort to? Might as well be Antifa. They're burning down cities. Here we go. Then they secretly, oh, by the way, the devil always operates in secret. God always operates out in the open. Just thought I'd mention that. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. Brothers and sisters, this is not the first case of false news or fake news or a false narrative. It's not the first case and it's not the last. When you fail to make sense in your debate, just make it up. Just lie. Just say something that isn't true and say it enough and on enough stations that people just start to say, well, must be true. I I heard it on CNN. Oh, I, I, I heard it on MSNBC. Oh, I heard it on the television. I heard it on the radio. I saw it on the internet. Wikipedia is always right, right? So here's what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with a rational argument because if we were, there's no question they cannot win in open debate. Like, let me just use one little example. How many genders are there? Oh, don't listen to Twitter. How many genders are there? Did you take biology? How many genders are there? Now let's go to the Bible. How many genders are there? Male and female, he created them. That's such a hateful thing to say. Really? When the baby's born, if it's outdoor plumbing, it's a boy. If it's indoor plumbing, it's a girl. But over the last couple of weeks, I actually read something where intelligent, educated morons said that you really can't tell the gender of a baby when it's born. So they're blind and stupid. No, they're lying. They're lying. They're lying. One of the most basic, fundamental facts of biology is gender. That's an example. So... They make it up. They resorted to secretly persuading some wicked men to falsely accuse Stephen of something he didn't say and something he didn't do. These men accused him of speaking words of blasphemy against the law of Moses. That was their their Bible of the time. And they also accused him of speaking words of blasphemy against God himself. They intentionally, can you imagine this? They intentionally, what? Yeah. They didn't have the FBI to help him, but they actually intentionally spread false allegations about him and publicly accused him of being a heretic. Good thing that doesn't happen anymore. Do you know something? They themselves were sinning against God by breaking the ninth commandment. Anyone know what that is? Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie! Don't lie. So, Then they used their false accusations to solicit support against Stephen from among the Hebraic Jews who had the power in Jerusalem. Here's what we read, verses 12 to 14. It says, so they stirred up the people. Ooh. You see, any time 
a movement that's energized by Satan wants to gain traction. They lie and they stir up the people. Did you hear what I said? They lie and they stir up the people. Satan's playbook is old, worn out, and tired. But it's effective. It's effective. They stirred up the people, we're told, and the elders and the teachers of the law. Now, these weren't Grecian Jews. These are the Hebraic Jews. They don't get along on much, but this they get along with, right? Power. And stopping people that threaten their their narrative and threaten their power base. Here's what happens. Uh, They seized Stephen, and they brought him before the Sanhedrin, and they produced false witnesses who testified. No, it wasn't an impeachment trial, but it might as well have been. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say, and we know these are lies, that this Jesus of Nazareth will come and will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. He's going to blow it all up. He wants to change everything. And he, look what he said about God. Look what he said about the law of Moses. Look what he said. Lies. Doesn't matter. Doesn't stop them at all. So they use these false accusations to solicit support. Anyone feel deja vu going on right now? Because I do. And, And they do this against Stephen from among the Hebraic Jews. They incited, incited the Jewish people of Jerusalem and the elders and the teachers of the law. By the way, those are all different groups of people different political parties, but they incited them. Now, the elders, I've said this already, the elders are the Sanhedrin. They were 70 men that ruled over the people of Israel in Jerusalem. They're the leaders. And then we have the Pharisees, or the teachers of the law, a little different, but pretty much on the same side. They were crying out for national deliverance from Rome. They're the conservatives. The priests and the Sadducees are the liberals. Yet they all get together on one point, Silence the Christians. So what did they do? They seized Stephen. They brought him before the Sanhedrin to accuse him of blasphemy, we're told. We've read it already. And they accused Stephen of speaking out against the temple, which they worshipped at the temple, but they also sort of kind of worshipped the temple itself but also against the law of Moses. That's God's word. So they said, this guy speaks out against the most holy place and God's most holy word. Now, I doubt that there was any shred of truth, but that didn't matter at all. He was accused of saying that Jesus would destroy the temple. Jesus never said he would destroy the temple. He said the temple would be destroyed. Do you see what happens in the media? If Jesus were here today... And Jesus said, the temple's going to be destroyed. They would say, Jesus said he's going to destroy the temple. Flip the words, edit the New York Times, Washington Post, and all of a sudden now, guess what? Jesus said something he didn't say. Stephen said something he didn't say. Christians are saying things they didn't say. That's how it happens. God has given us his, uh, us his word to open our eyes and our hearts to the truth. Not only the truth of God's word, but the truth about our world. And if you refuse to see it, you're blind. Open your eyes. See what's going on in our world today. So, he was also accused of saying that Jesus would change the law. Change the ceremonial law. And that threatened them. Now, Jesus did reinterpret the law correctly. 
because they had made all of these extra laws that didn't exist. But he never said he was going to change it. He was going to fulfill it, and he did. Can I hear an amen? Well, we get to verse 15. In verse 15, this is perhaps the most significant verse of our study today. So if you're tuning out, I want you to tune back in with me. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Oh, there's so much there. I could teach on that verse for an hour and a half. I'm not going to, don't worry. Stephen was at peace. Yes. In the face of all of this opposition, being lied about, persecuted, seized, taken before the Sanhedrin, he was at peace. Why? Because he had a relationship with God. You need to have a relationship with God if you're going to avoid separation from God for all eternity. But if you're going to have even a shred of peace in this world, you need to know Jesus Christ, his son, and give your life to him. Stephen was at peace before these witnesses as they falsely accused him before the Sanhedrin. I'm going to be straight up with you. I'm not that good a man. I would need all of the gifting of the Holy Spirit not to go toe-to-toe. Some of you know I study martial arts. I would go toe-to-toe. But I'm also learning discipline. And you don't always need to punch. Sometimes you can just be at peace. Sometimes you can just trust in God in the face of all of that persecution and hate. And you need to be. That's what's going to make an impact on our world. You going and burning down their cities and storming the capital and doing those kinds of things, that's not going to bring any lasting or effective change. What will is being at peace with God. Stephen was at peace as they falsely accused him. Did it sound like anybody you've ever heard about? Who else stood before the Sanhedrin and was at complete peace? His Lord and Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the ideal. He's our role model, and Stephen was following the example of Christ in so many ways, as we'll see over the next few weeks. Now, what was the Sanhedrin doing? What was they doing? Listen, what were they doing? They were looking at him. The world is looking at you. They were looking intently at him. That means to study. They were studying him. Your neighbors are studying you. You don't know it. They're looking through the window. What are those crazy Christian people doing again? There they go again. They must have a nine o'clock service. They leave here early on Sunday morning. I see the cars go out of the driveway. They take both cars and the kids jump in. Where are they going? They're looking intently, intently at you. They're studying you to see how you're going to respond. And they're watching him to see how he'll respond to these charges, the lies, the threats. They were watching him under pressure and looking to see how he reacted to their persecution. You're in a pressure cooker. Anybody have a pressure cooker? It can be a very dangerous thing. You can make a bomb out of a pressure cooker. I, I don't suggest you try pressure cooker. That's what you're in right now. We all are. And the world is watching as we percolate. They're watching to see how it all affects us. But Stephen was a faithful witness. By the way, in Greek, the word for witness is martyr. 
He was a witness to both the truth of the gospel and to the character of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, a lot of people out there witnessing to the truth of the gospel, but the character of Jesus is strangely lacking from their lives. Why are they ineffective? You tell me. The only reason Stephen was able to be effective and empowered was because he was filled with God's grace, with wisdom, with faith, with the Holy Spirit. So people saw the character of Christ before they heard the message of Jesus Christ. I don't think I need to elaborate. I think you got the message. You got the memo. The Sanhedrin, they observed Stephen, and how did they describe him? Well, look at that guy. We hate him. Why do we hate him? I don't know, but I just hate him. Oh, yeah, we hate him. I know why we hate him. He voted for the other guy. Oh, you know what? I know why we hate him. You know why we hate him? He's too good. He thinks he's so holy. I'm channeling a little imitation of Satan here right now, but, you know, you know you've heard these voices before. You know, I hate that guy. Why do you, he's so good at his job. He's always in here early. He's, he, you know, makes me look bad. <gasps> there it is. They're convicted. The reaction could be they want to be like you and like Jesus. Or the reaction could be they want to drag you out of the city and put you to death. But for the sake of the world, may you get some kind of reaction to your witness. Sadly, most witnesses, if you want to call them that, get no response because they're not really much of a witness at all. Oh, I shared my faith today. How did you share it? I said, God bless you when my boss sneezed. You did? Really? You said, God bless you? You didn't get fired? No. I know how Stephen felt. I prayed at lunch. Well, I I prayed to myself. I just closed my eyes at a business meeting. I didn't pray out loud, but I prayed at lunch. I I, I know they're going to get saved. I'm being silly and facetious for a reason. You better pour on your witness. We're living in dark days. There's no time to be playing games. Jesus said, you ought to be hot or cold, not lukewarm. That's what he said to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. And it's what he would say to his church today. Well, let's close this up. We learn here he was a faithful witness. They, they looked at his face and they said, man, that guy looks like an angel. I didn't like him, but... How are you going to debate that? Now, we know that he had not spoken words of blasphemy against the law of Moses or against God. We know those those were false charges, and it says so. He had not spoken out against the temple or against the law of Moses, and he had not said that Jesus would destroy the temple or change a ceremonial law, and you know what? That's true, but he looked like an angel. I I might not look like an angel if you said those things about me, and and they were false, and they would be false, but he did. Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, with God's love, with faith, with wisdom, with grace and power. These witnesses had twisted Stephen's words in order to falsely accuse him of a crime that was punishable by death, by the way, blasphemy. He had no doubt taught about the coming destruction of the temple predicted by Jesus. He had certainly taught that the law of Moses was unable to save men from their sins, but he didn't say any of the things they said. They twisted his words. Those that had falsely accused Jesus at his trial before the Sanhedrin had done the exact same thing. In fact, the official charge against Jesus from the Jews was blasphemy. Blasphemy. Their desire to silence Stephen would lead them 
to sin against God by breaking another commandment as well. Thou shalt not kill. Brothers and sisters, as I ask the worship team to come up, may the example of Stephen help us, empower us, encourage us to be faithful witnesses of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. O Lord, Heavenly Father, I pray because I I know any time a message like this is given, there, there are two groups of people, maybe three. Those that are antagonistic to the message, like the Grecian Jews in the synagogue of the freedmen, who will go to great lengths to silence us. There are those. There are those. I don't believe we have any of those here today, but there are those out there. Then there are those that readily accept the message and recognize it as the word of God. They submit their hearts. They they cry out to God. They call upon the name of the Lord and they're saved. They believe in their hearts and, and, and confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God the Father raised him from the dead and they're saved because they've given their lives to Jesus Christ. They will never see hell. They will spend an eternity in heaven with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and the church and all the saints and the angels and all the heavens. But there's a third and final category and it's those that hear the truth Don't necessarily come out against the truth, but don't receive it either. I pray for every heart here today who's heard this truth. The truth about Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins. Because we're sinners, we needed salvation to come, and it had to come through a sacrifice. Because he died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven where he ever lives to make intercession for us at the throne of God, And that he promised he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. That truth, these truths of the gospel, the simple truth that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten son to die in our place. That simple truth of the gospel, if received and accepted, we know saves us. You save us through accepting and receiving that truth to as many as received him. To those that believed on his name. He gave them the right to be called the children of God, John tells us in his gospel, chapter 1. So if there are any here as we have this last song and we worship who are Christians who just need to be encouraged, cry out to God. You've received the message. You just need to be encouraged to be faithful to share it without compromise courageously. And if there's anyone here today who's never made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, we're not going to call you up. We're not going to make you feel uncomfortable. Once you give your life to Christ, you'll find out what it means to be uncomfortable. But here you're among friends. Here, here you're among those that love you. And so if you want to make that profession of faith, as we, as we praise, as we sing, all you need to do is, you don't even have to raise your hand, but if you choose to, you can just raise your hand where you're seated. Cry out to God and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Savior, my personal Lord and Savior. I believe the truths that the pastor shared today and that are revealed in God's Word. And I want to give my heart and my life to you because I want to spend an eternity with you And I want to know the truth, live the truth, have your peace, be filled with your grace and the power of your spirit, that I might change my family, or you may change them through me and the world around me. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.